Welcome to the Alliance Theater Podcast. I'm Arielle Tinter. And I'm Ansley Ursery. And we have a bonus episode for you today. It's a special conversation between our own Jennings Hertz artistic director, Susan Booth, and Jesse Green, who is a critic for the New York Times. So here's a recording of that conversation, and we hope you enjoy it. So welcome, everybody. So um, not a surprise for a writer, but uh, Jesse's bio is incredibly good reading, but I would... (laughs) I would use up our finite time if I if I went into all of it. So I'm I'm going to pick my own favorite high points. Um, you do know that from from reading actors' resumes, just don't believe half of it. <laughs> so um, what I didn't I, write the cherry orchard. I'm what sorry. I do know is that he's uh, an award-winning journalist, uh, author of nonfiction. He is the co-chief theater critic of the New York Times. Prior to that was a theater critic with New York Magazine. Um, Once upon a time, he was a musical coordinator on Broadway shows, although was apparently only a mediocre oboe (laughs) player (laughs) by your own admission. Wait, what did I send you? Um, (laughs) I think I sent you the wrong form. Uh, It's uh, true, I I, I labored many years to become non-proficient. At Oboe. <laughs> At Oboe, yes. Um, but I think my absolute favorite is that Jesse Green is the co-author of Crossword <laughs> Puzzles with the novelist Meg Wolitzer. <laughs> it, it, when we were young. And you know that phase in your life, which continues. Con- oh, it's you still feel- going. Um, <laughs> when you basically will do anything that anyone will pay you a little bit of money for. And that was, uh, so we wrote Cryptic Puzzles. It began out of writing puzzles for each other for birthdays. We were just good friends. Right. And um, uh, and then somebody said, oh, we'd like that for, you know, for publication. And we said, what will you pay us? And they said, $25. And I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we did that for a number of years. It's yeah. true. It's yeah. true. My, 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 my first interview with a crossword puzzle writer, it's really very exciting. Okay, I want to start with a, uh, a really easy one, which yeah. is what do you think the highest and best calling of theater criticism should be? <laughs> Just to warm up. Yeah. <laughs> well, first let me start by saying what it isn't. Okay. I, I have to say this to Broadway producers especially. I'm not on your damn staff. <laughs> I'm not your publicist. I'm not concerned with how much money you put into the show. Sadly, I'm not even concerned with how many great people you're employing, even though I support that. Uh, that is not my job. I'm not part of making your $10 million investment pay off. Uh, my job, as I think of it, is mostly to understand and interpret for readers how the theater is reflecting our world. That involves a, a prejudice uh, in choice, and that prejudice is generally in, fa- in favor of work that is reflecting our world, as opposed to work that is either not trying to or is failing at. So the next line is judging what I see to see how well is it doing that. So I'm partly a service, part of a service industry to readers. 
uh, and I'm partly part of a, a journalism industry that also that does that does not take into account readers any more than it would take into account politicians. If you were a, a political reporter, I'm reporting on my response based on my history, which is a limited history of one person of one particular ethnic background to the material he sees, he sees. And um, as other reporters report from a war zone, I report from, well, a war zone, which is my, <laughs> my, own, my own feelings and thoughts about what I see and what I, what, how that reflects the world. So that's the fundamental basis of what I do. So we got into this a little bit yesterday. There's, there's criticism as a kind of academic appraisal. Mm. There's criticism as consumer reporting. Mm -hmm. There's criticism as personal subjective response. What's your jam? Well, the, you? the, the problem is that it's all personal subjective response. Right. Even if you want to call it the other things, and we do want to call it the other things because it makes us feel like we're professionals, <laughs> and, and that there are some guidelines that you can, but they don't, they're not really objective. Uh, and you, you can tell that in an instant by looking at reviews from four different distinguished critics, or more likely four less distinguished critics. <laughs> uh, we're not very distinguished as a group. Uh, and you, but people who have valid perspectives, either from academic background, or uh, lived life background, or, uh, or just going to the theater for years, or whatever, and have radically different responses. So you're always thrown back on what is it that they're seeing? What, what is taste? Why, why do I claim that what my taste is is the one uh, that should be valued? Well, only because I'm the one writing. And it wouldn't make much sense for me to choose somebody else's taste. But it is taste. So I have to negotiate that constantly since I also want to feel like an authority, and yet my authority is only based on something completely subjective. So you're seeing me in a, right now, basically in a personality crisis. Well, yeah, yeah. And, and when you say and negotiate with your taste, do you, it's like therapy now. Do, <laughs> yeah. do you second guess your taste? Yes. And does that happen in response to the work? At best, yes. And, and here, let me tell you an example. Uh, earlier this year, in January, the Public Theater in New York has a, an annual festival called Under the Radar. Uh, maybe some of you have seen it or heard about it, but it's you know, basically their um, new wave kind of festival, uh, theater productions from around the world that are testing form and also content. And as it happened, this year there were a couple productions that aligned into a theme that I wrote about together. Right. And these were uh, some shows that were dealing with uh, artists, whether actors or writers or both, who were what uh, many of those artists call themselves uh, uh, neurodiverse. Neuro so there was one show in which a woman named Jess Tom uh, did the Beckett monologue, Not I, which is a 12-minute spew of language from a mouth that is isolated in a spotlight on stage, eight feet above the stage. Uh, that it appears to be nonsense, until, you know, except it isn't quite. And this woman, Jess Tom, has Tourette syndrome. So I thought, okay, that's interesting. And I honestly, to be really honest, I went thinking, all right, well, that, that's a good lead. You know, I can, I can get a good sentence out of that. I, I, I didn't know what I was expecting to feel about it. 
And another show was from an Australian theater company called Back to Back Theater or Hand to Hand. I'm sorry, I can't remember the name. Um, and they were doing an, uh, an original play written by members of their company, all of whom were neurodiverse. Uh, they had different definitions of uh, the different ways they liked to characterize their neurodiversity. So uh, one of them had had brain injuries, one of them uh, had Down syndrome, and one of them defined himself by saying that uh, he had a thick Australian accent and also an autistic dialect. That hit me over the head. And I thought, that's interesting. He sees his autism as a dialect of being human. It's just another, uh, another form of uh, language. And that made sense to me. And then I thought, well, then, what is, what, is, what is my personality? What, is my, what are my cute little neurotic foibles that I love so much in myself? <laughs> but my dialect yes. of being human, uh, my neurodiversity. And that just started to crack open everything I do. Uh, and, and because I then watched that play, and I thought this play was giving me something that no one else could give me. And by the way, the not I was fantastic. And not just because, oh, look at the novelty, it's someone with Tourette's yeah. doing it, but because she understood something about that character through her lived experience that no one else I had seen do the show had, uh, was able to see in that character. It doesn't mean it's the only version of that play. I had, I had seen Jessica Tandy do it at the world premiere. I, I, was, I was a fetus, I was that, you know, but still, I saw it. And, uh, <laughs> It, it just expanded for me, and uh, but also joined the expansion that's already been going on in my thought and in our, in the theatrical world about how how important it is to open the doors to other kinds of lived experience, uh, not not only because it's it's right to do, and not only because it's fair employment, but also because it enriches the work and the way the work can reach people and open their minds to new ways of thinking. Right. Is your, in the, in the vast amount of time that we've known each other, it, you seem we met yesterday. wonderfully uh, devoid of skepticism. Oh no, I'm totally skeptical. <laughs> You're a really good actor. No, I'm both skeptical and in the process of trying to remain radically open. So what role does skepticism play? Is it, well, you is have it to an check. asset? Is yeah, it? you have to, you know, there's bad theater by anybody, right? <laughs> well, now see, even as I say that, I start to question myself, is there? <laughs> Maybe I just don't understand the, that dialect. Yeah, and, and this is one of the problems with our the critical community today. You know, most of the critical community in New York, I, I can't speak for Atlanta, uh, but are, are people who look like me. Right you know, uh, apparently ancient. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's the one I always get, old white guy. I'm like, hey, <laughs> I thought we are supposed to be pro-old people, or, you know, but apparently not. Uh, and, you know, and I'm not used to being that person. I, you know, when I started out at the Times, I'm gay. You couldn't use the word gay in the New York Times. You had to say homosexual. It was so conservative. and. When I hear uh, my black friends talk about microaggressions, 
I get that. Now, it, w it wasn't as bad as what they tell me they experienced, but, you know, to be a gay person working at a very straight institution in 1983 or 4 was horrific. Right. And I, I passed from that into uh, the patriarchy with, with, very, I, with like very little in between. I didn't seem to get that period in, in between. But it's true. I, I'm a dinosaur, and we need to have more people representing all kinds of uh, dialects of humanity responding to these works because I'm probably not ideal for understanding some of the work that I see. So there was a, a lot of spitballing around who would take the position <laughs> that, that uh, yes. you, you now hold. Do, do you read your own press? <sighs> well, we are required to maintain a social media profile. Um, it's part of how the New York Times, despite what you may have heard from certain politicians, <laughs> is having its, I mean, it has the most subscribers by far it has ever had in its 170-year history. It, uh, is when the did most that start? That January of 2016. Okay. I don't know what <laughs> that could have been, but something caused readers to come flocking to us okay. at that time. Uh, you know, God willing, we'll, we'll have to see, you know, how we can keep them after uh, this fall. But anyway, uh, be that as it may, uh, yeah, so, so part of what has made us so successful, well, part of it is unfortunately the demise of a lot of other yeah. publications. Uh, and let's not even talk about arts coverage in a lot of other publications. But uh, in order to, you know, we are instructed about how we are to keep that going by maintaining social media profiles. And so, yes, I have to be on Twitter. And it's, it's a terrible thing. So the, an, the short answer to your question is yes, I read right. my press. I'm really thin-skinned, and I, like, cry a lot in a corner. <laughs> no, it's, it's very painful. And, and you can't just reject it. I mean, some people will tell you, I don't know if you have this experience. I, I, I've been asking people in Atlanta whether the social media environment is as hostile mm -hmm. as it is in New York, and mostly I'm hearing that it isn't. But uh, I'm sure y to the extent that it is, you must hear it. Yeah. Right. So, and I don't know how thin-skinned you are. How thin-skinned are you? <laughs> <laughs> that was microscopic, was the answer. So, and yet you probably know you have to not close yourself off to the, that to try to understand, is there something legitimate that is trying to be said through that? Yeah. What are my responsibilities, even if I'm hurt? Uh, and is it just my vanity being hurt, or is somebody really being awful? And you know, I, I did not get into that, this work in order to have those conversations with myself. Did you anticipate, I mean, New York Magazine is not a small publication, yeah. but then there's the New York Times. Right. Did, did you anticipate the, the depth of the, the thickness of the dialogue around your selection? I thought I did, okay, <laughs> but it wasn't as, it wasn't enough uh, preparation. I when I was interviewed for the job um, with our editor in chief, I said to him, and and he's a black man, and I said to him, I am a diversity zero for you. 
uh, in an environment that's going to be, you know, looking rightly for uh, more diversity. How, you know, so I mean, I don't want to lose myself the job, but how do you, how are you hiring me? And he said, you can't solve all your diversity problems in any one hire. You have to look holistically at the institution. And I was like, oh, good. He he gave me my out. I don't have to think about that anymore. And then I went, you know, and got the job. And then, of course, everybody had the reactions they did. Um, I will say, in my defense, I think people had that reaction without really studying what mm -hmm. I've done, and that I, you know, what my interests are and uh, what my commitments are. Right. Right. So I'll, I'll, I'll take us off of <laughs> you, back to you. Um, Hustles? Are you willing, <laughs> what do you decide, Hustles? Uh, if you're willing to share, do you have either a damn I got that wrong mm. or damn I got that right mm. review? S uh, of a single word? Yep. It's a <laughs> What does it mean to be wrong? I, I was never wrong in r saying what I felt. Right. Uh, what else can I do? Now, some writers make it their uh, job to express what other people are thinking as they express what they are thinking. Like, so I didn't like this, but uh, I saw that these people were really responding to it, and your experience may be different. I don't. I, it, I don't find that useful. My, my idea of what a critic does is provide a pretty constant uh, guide light. You know, you, like, I grew up reading a lot of New York theater critics, even though I didn't grow up in New York. I, <laughs> I don't know why I was reading <laughs> The New Yorker and New York Magazine in, in the suburbs of Philadelphia, but I was at tw eight and 12. And, I, and one of the people I read was John Simon. I don't know if any of you have recently died. And I, I John Simon uh, was a brilliant writer, if just considered like sentence construction. Very admirable. Uh, his acuity about theater was very strong. And he was a terrible racist and homophobe and misogynist. And, and not just in this subtle way that we, we no. talk about, <laughs> but really out there. I mean, you know, he said things like, oh, we, we, we didn't have to worry about gay plays for long because they'd all be dead of AIDS soon anyway. You know, mm -hmm. stuff like that. Or, uh, and, and worse things about women as a group. Body and, shamed and a Body lot. shaming a lot of people who, I mean, it's, it's not okay ever. And it was also bizarre in, in these cases. And then, you know, completely against any kind of colorblind casting or color conscious casting, just resisting any innovations of that sort. But I read him and I learned from him because I knew what his, I knew where he w was as, as a writer and I could s read him and understand that I wasn't going to agree with him but I was going to understand something about the work by triangulating between it and him and me. Yeah. And, uh, and good writing allows you to do that. It has to be really, you have to be ex extremely precise about your what you really feel and think. And that allows readers to completely disagree with you and thereby understand the work through your, uh, through that difference. Yeah. 
to start trying to write from everyone's point of view, therefore, I think, muddies the field. And it doesn't allow that kind of uh, benefit to the reader. Well, back to that notion of, you know, there's, there's academic appraisal, there's consumer reporting, there's mm -hmm. personal subjective. Um, what, what is your, is there a tension of experience when you're having your subjective response to work and you're surrounded by an audience that would appear to be having largely a different one? Is that an awareness? It's an awareness, and there's, there's two kinds of that. One is, and, and I, thank you for not doing this when I went to see the show last night here <laughs> at your stage, but often when you, in New York, when you're going to a Broadway show or one of the major off-Broadway shows, uh, there are press nights, and you're with a lot of your press colleagues, and you're placed in certain excellent seats, and if it's a, particularly if it's a musical, you become aware that there have been people placed around you who <laughs> <laughs> are having extraordinarily voluble responses to the work, <laughs> and also looking over at, at you and trying to see whether you're laughing or not and stuff like that. Uh, we call them clackers. And um, <clears throat> so you have to discount all of that. Yeah. Uh, what happens to me, though, is I, I'll, I'll, without, well, I'll, why not name it? There was a, a new comedy that opened on Broadway uh, in January um, by Bess Wall, who's a playwright, I, uh, two of whose plays I've thought I've loved. We just did Small Mouth Sounds earlier this season. Okay, and she has another play I love, uh, the one about the children. Uh, it's called The Children. Uh, Isn't it called The Children? No, that was, oh, that's a great play, okay. but that's not by her. Okay. Uh, I'll remember the name of All the right. other one in a minute. Anyway, this was not one of those great ones. This, this one, I was just hating it. I was just <laughs> completely hating it. It was a kind of a revamped Neil Simon-style comedy trying to do something new, but using an almost sitcom-y or boulevard comedy format to do it in. And she's a smart enough writer with a track record that I was like spending a lot of the time in the play thinking, what is she doing? How am I going to respond? You know, what is my response to this? Why am I not getting it? Am I missing it? Everyone around me was screaming with laughter. And that was, you know, that was part of my thought process. Yeah. They're getting something out of it that I'm not getting. Right. Uh, in the end, you know, I have to, I, I, can't, I can't write their experience. Yeah. Um, but I took it into consideration in trying to understand what the playwright was doing and to what degree she was succeeding. So I understood that for a lot of people, those jokes worked. For me, I didn't, they had no purpose. And I, what I'm looking for, as I said earlier in the theater, is, you know, it can be a comedy. It can be really funny. I love it when it's really funny. But what is it doing? What are you showing us about our lives? Yeah. And so. so did I answer your question? I think you did. I think you did, but you gave me another one I want to ask. When we started out, you, you started out with a, with a um, this is not who I am here to serve. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who, who ultimately do you feel a sense of responsibility to when you're writing? My boss. <laughs> Wise. Yeah, uh, but that's that's a low bar because, uh, you know, I mean, they hired me, they're stuck with me, so I think I'm okay uh, on that front. Um, this is going to sound selfish, but I started out as a writer, not a critic, uh, and long before I was even writing journalism, I was writing fiction, 
and God help me, what I meant to do was write poetry. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm a cliche. Um, so my responsibility in, in a certain way that is hard to explain is to myself. Yeah. Um, and, but also in saying that, to understand that the self I'm being responsible to has to also be responsible to the world. Yeah. So it is my job to continue to torture myself about am I capable of understanding what I'm seeing? What am I missing? Uh, am I the right person for this? Trying to stretch myself. But all, when it's all said and done and I'm sitting there in my office and writing a review, I'm responsible to my own views and to my own craft. And when I feel bad, it's not really ever because 10 other critics loved the show and I didn't, or I'm the only one who liked it and they all hated it, it's when I have a bad sentence. Mm. That's what bugs me. But yeah. to, to go back to your question about things that I got right or wrong, yeah. I don't like to put it that way, but something I feel really great about is uh, I, I, we're all aware of the uh, renaissance going on in uh, plays by black playwrights, or at least a renaissance and they're getting attention, getting production. And um, quite, quite a lot of them are excellent, uh, not only because of what they're teaching us, but because of the forms in which they're doing it and the ways that they're opening our eyes uh, to theatrical innovation as well as to their content. And um, I hope it wasn't just performative wokeness, as we were talking about the other day, uh, but I really have powerful responses to a lot of that work and I really get behind it. Yeah. And a lot it's you know a lot of it starts off in tiny little spaces somewhere off Broadway and when I can bring attention to that work. Right. I feel like I'm doing my best job. Um, I, and it's it's not only uh, works about black <coughs> experience but that happens to be what a lot of it is right now but another one is what the constitution means to me. Yeah. I don't know if if you've heard of that show. But uh, it, not only was it at a small theater off-Broadway, but it didn't get in its first outing, it, some of the reviews, some of the prominent reviews, even in my own paper, were uh, not raves, and I made it a point to go <coughs> and re-review it and try to give it the biggest send-off I possibly could. And then, yeah. and then now it's you know, doing a national tour, right. and I eventually will be performed everywhere. It's incredibly important work about really interrogating the fundamental documents of Americanness, not just saying you are, yeah. but really saying, you know, it does the Constitution work f for everyone in America, not just the people who were allowed to sign it at the beginning. Whose writing do you read and enjoy? Criticism? Yep. <coughs> yep. Enjoy? No one. No. <laughs> I'm too Who envious. Do you I'm too. Oh, oh. No, it's like, oh. no. Well, you know, also, I don't want to pollute myself with their words. I mean, how many words are there? <laughs> Glorious. <laughs> oh, God. I've only got three left that are mine. I, I just I don't want to hear that somebody else like found a new adjective. What, what's, your, what's your best positive superlative? Um. I was, I, I'll just tell you what came to mind when you said it. Heartbreaking. There. But that's oh. about me. I mean, that's just about my psychology. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I want to, I want to be shaken. Yeah. I want to be moved. 
uh, I want to be put in a position of doubt about what I thought was true. Right. I want to have a strong argument from a play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't mean that it has to be Shaw, although that's great too. But um, if it's only confirming what I already feel, th that's okay too. That's a purpose of theater. That's a valid purpose of theater, which is to uh, support and encourage the, the uh, difficult feelings that people already have and to help them work with yeah. it. Th that's okay. But what I love most is when they take me there and then they go, <laughs> no, no, we're going further. Yes. So um, I'm going to open it up to people, but I, I, have, I have one more, and it, it, you brought up John Simon, and I don't know that it's an accurate uh, uh, corollary, but I, I want to hear a word or two, or, or, or many more, on the presence and utility of snark, because we talked about this a little bit, I mean, you, in reviews. Yes, I mean Dorothy Parker, mm -hmm. all hail, mm -hmm. right? Famous review of Catherine Hepburn was right. classic snark. She, Catherine Hepburn, made her Broadway debut, I believe. Uh, I, it might have been. I don't know. And uh, Dorothy Parker's review said that she ran the emotional gamut from A to B. <laughs> um, so, so speak on snark. Well. If, if you read criticism from before 10 years ago, um, let alone even leaving John Simon and Dorothy Parker out of this, yeah. it was a lot snarkier. And critics were a lot more willing to just say, this, this is terrible, and to use everything in their arsenal to uh, make you feel that and to have a wicked good time in feeling that. Uh, it's rarely done anymore in, in that way because because of this self-questioning, I think, yeah. that, that we're talking about. However, <laughs> I'll just say I consider it a, a, a great gift when a, a terrible play is also a politically backward play because then I feel totally free <laughs> <laughs> to pull out all those fabulous old guns yeah. and to be as snarky as I please. Yeah. Um, is it good for the, I, I, I don't know if, I think it's okay. I think it's okay because, again, if, if the people who read me know the way I am, they know I'm not doing that all the time. Um, it's important to keep readers entertained or, or they're not going to read your arguments. Right. Um, and also there are works that, whether on purpose or by accident, are actually detrimental and uh, should be called out as strongly as possible. And wit is a great tool in, in our quiver of uh, critical response. I like that answer. I want to open it up for questions. Yes. Hey, I'm a theater critic myself, and most of us here are white men. And I, I have a, the expression middle-aged white critic is something we hear all the time. But my question. I would take middle-aged. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, my question for you is, when someone says that a middle-aged white critic should not be reviewing well, this this has been coming up more and more, uh, and there's certain plays in New York <coughs> where there has even been a uh, a request or even a, requ a stated requirement that uh, the critic be uh, not a white right. male, sometimes not a white female either. Um, as as a policy, the Times does not accept 
those instructions any more than we would uh, accept the instruction of a politician as to who could cover them. Um, thinking about it from a playwright's point of view, I can understand in many instances their wish to have their work seen by people who might understand it better or have a, uh, uh, have a lived experience that, give, that qualifies them better. But until we have more critics of color and of other, you know, along other axes of diversity, there's this tension that goes on because the theaters want everything covered by the Times, and I, ha I happen to be the, the critic who will do it. So um, while I understand it, and when, when I, I don't like being pushed around about it, but uh, when I agree strongly, I will argue with my editor to assign it to, to someone else who I think would do, maybe do a better job than I would. Um, but on the other hand, in my top 10 list for the last three years of plays that I've seen, more than 50% of them are by uh, people of color and women. And that's not because I have a quota. That is because that's how I'm responding. So. I feel like it's a little short-sighted of, of a writer to say, we don't want you old white man to come review the play because <coughs> in New York anyway, the audiences are 90% older white people to begin with. And um, uh, if they want their shows to be seen by that audience, which I can understand that they would since that's how they're gonna make any money, then this is currently the situation that they have in front of them. But this is why I think the, we need to have more black critics, more women critics, more black theaters, more wi more women's theaters. Uh, we need to, for a healthy environment, there have to be both generalists, and I, I would describe the alliance as a generalist right. theater, and also uh, s specialists. And uh, we don't have that anymore. It used to be more true. Have you seen, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I just bogarted this yeah. being a no, Q&A. It's my last one, I promise. <laughs> um, sort of promise. Um, have you seen, because we, we were talking about audience makeup, have you seen a shift in New York? When there's plays by uh, authors of <coughs> color where the uh, younger producers know how to market them better, right. you can get a, a, a much better mix of audience. And uh, you, you may have heard of the play, Slave Play, uh, which um, I saw off-Broadway and loved. And uh, when it came to Broadway, they had uh, something called a blackout performance where they uh, had an entirely uh, self-defined people of color in the uh, audience night. And apparently, my friends who went you know, said it was a, a thrilling experience. One that I gather is typical, for instance, at True Colors uh, right. here in Atlanta. And, and I thought, we need both. We need that, and, and we need that show seen by mixed audiences. I would rather it never be seen by only white audiences. I'm, I feel safer in diverse groups. I don't know about you, but in general, and not just on race, but gender especially. Yes. My question that I had before you said that was actually about slave play. I'm teaching okay. a class at Emory on contemporary drama, and we're focusing on new plays. And much to my amazement, we're doing slave play 
You're yes, doing we, it? Yeah, well, we're, 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 we're reading it, we're responding to uh -huh. it, um, which is probably insanity on my part. But, <laughs> um, and I had very mixed feelings about mm -hmm. it. And so now that you've said that you loved it, I get most of my class, I've got some racial diversity, I've got mm -hmm. other kinds of diversity, but you know, I'm a white person teaching this play to a 85% white class. Anything you can tell me about your response to slave play that might be helpful? Well, I'm kind of used to. I'm like, like, I'm like, a tenderized steak. I've been, <laughs> I've been pounded, and with, yeah, I don't know what that tool is called that has the little prongs on yeah, it. Right. <laughs> uh, and so I'm, I am used to, and generally perhaps more comfortable uh, with, you know, being sort of the bad guy in a story or at least the one whose assumptions are being questioned, although I think that play questions everybody's assumptions. Um, so I, I read my review from the off, the, my original review from the off Broadway, or if you come up to me afterward, I'll, I'll send you a link or whatever. But uh, I, I would say try not to get um, confused by the pyrotechnics, which he's using to uh, sort of misdirect you I mean, like the whole first act is uh, misdirection to get to what's really going on. And the whole sexual part of it, which is important, but I, I think college students, this is co college, yeah. right? College students might really have trouble getting past, past that. Um, but, you know, do the fundamental critical work. What does the playwright want us to feel? Is the play having that effect? And is that effect worth having? That's, that's the issue. And for me, I understood what he wanted. I felt that he had found the perfect machine for causing at least me to have that response, although certainly not all white people had the res that response, nor all black people. There was a huge blow blowback from a lot of black people on that show as well. Um, and is it worth doing? Oh my God, what is more worth doing right now than to explore the interracial compact of America? As, uh, as seen through three uh, personal relationships. So maybe ask them to think about it not, as, not just as personal stories of these three couples, but as America's story. Could you say those three, the, the three questions you ask of a play? I'll again? try, but they might come out different this time. I know, time. but okay. I have a um, feeling. The, what is, what the, is the playwright trying to do? How successfully is he, he or she and the production? <laughs> doing it and is it worth doing I love that I love that yes um, you are a poet and a writer no, I'm not a poet heart. I was a poet in college in your core <laughs> and when you started and, um, thank you so much <laughs> um, I'm curious to know you said that what you do is a matter of taste I'm curious to know how your taste has evolved since beginning yeah. with the intention of when you say evolved, I mean from since since when I was really writing poetry in college, or do you mean as a critic when I've been transitioning a critic? into the world? Well, you know, I've only been a critic for six years, uh, or something like that. I, I, I never intended to be a critic. I, I was asked by my editor at New York Magazine to take over uh, as theater critic temporarily when the person who had the job. <laughs> was going on paternity leave. 
So that was supposed to be, what, what a three-month yeah. gig. And that guy came back for like one month and he said, you know what, I prefer to be on, you know, a father. <laughs> and and he, then he left. Um, and so the editor said, well, it's your job now. And I said, no, I, I don't really want to do that. And he said, well, that's, that's your job now. <laughs> <clears throat> so at that time, I didn't have uh, a taste as a critic. I mean, I, I, of course, I'd been going to theater heavily since I moved to New York and, and even before. And I'd worked in the theater also. Did you include that in your? Uh, copyist, oh, you did gopher, that. and yeah. musical coordinator. Yes, okay. <laughs> and my degree was in English and in theater. Um, so I didn't, but I didn't really have a critical uh, taste at the beginning, and I, and, uh, and I didn't have a philosophy, and I didn't have those three. For those three questions. Those three questions. But uh, I, w I guess the thing that has happened is that I've become more accepting of discomfort. Now, is that taste? Uh, I think it is taste because discomfort is not just content, but also in ways of uh, presenting the content in theatrical innovations. I, I kind of used to be a snob. I, I'm hearing everyone in the back of my Twitter account going, used to be. <laughs> um, you know, but I was like, if it, if it doesn't take place in a beautiful uh, <laughs> building from 1910 mm -hmm. or in an exquisitely redone building from a few years ago with uh -huh. all the equipment anyone could ever desire, I don't want to be there. I don't want to be in anybody's attic looking at your damn play. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to be in the sub-basement. There's a theater in, in an off-off-Broadway theater in New York called the Access Theater. You have to, the, if you take the elevator, it uh, opens up on the stage. So they can't use it once, you know, except uh, for an hour before the show. I mean, and you have to climb like four or five Stories. That's the Access Theater. Um, <laughs> so uh, I used to like not choose not to access <laughs> those kinds of places, and and my taste ha or my willingness to experience uh, other kinds of work has had the effect of changing my taste. I've, some of the most interesting stuff is going to start in those attics and in those basements and. Um, you know, there's a little place called the Bushwick Star. Sticky with that. I, you know, it's it's again. You like go up steps, and then you're in a maze, and you don't know where you are, and then you finally end up in this little place. And and to be honest, I can't grade what they do on the same level because they're they're super young and they're doing super new material from new playwrights, and I I'm not gonna put the same critical apparatus on top of that as I would if I were reviewing right. a show here. Right. Um, but those shows, you know, force my taste open. Isn't that where Taylor Mac started, the Bushwick Star? If not, he should have. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, hello, Mr. Breed. I, I, I That's my father, Mr. Breed. <laughs> oh, I'm, oh. I'm just. I'm Manning. <laughs> um, I just wondered. Um, you know, there are magazines and there are newspapers and and right, you know, and then there's the New York Times. And how conscious of you are you when that that what you say and what you write are as a one of the chief 
drama critics uh, of the times, <laughs> do you ever say to yourself, now what I say is going to have more effect than anybody else? I mean, because let's face it, you know, the times read everywhere that people who were, um, or especially if they're interested in theater, they want to know what, and not that other people's and other sources are, are not important, but do you ever, and then not to mention the fact that the success, and you said earlier, you, you can't be responsible for the success of the show and so forth, but, <laughs> but in fact, what you say uh, will probably have an effect. I mean, how, con how conscious of you does it bother you even that, that you've got all this power or people perceive that you do? Or does it fill you with delight? <laughs> <laughs> well, I promised myself I would be completely honest here. Oh, excellent. It partly fills me with delight. <laughs> I mean, I didn't work all my life to, uh, you know, and, and honestly, a tremendous amount of luck, we all know, is involved in this. But <clears throat> I did work hard, too. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to disown the pleasure of having gotten to this, this position. And I, but it, I am extremely aware of it and the responsibility that comes with it, just as any theater maker who gets to a certain level, I'm sure, I'm sure, feels a tremendous responsibility to use that achievement uh, uh, to shape what, what they do. I, it comes into play more with things like, if I see a show out of town that is planning to come to New York, well, you have one on your stage right now. Um, and I know that if I were, didn't like it, say, and I were to write a snarky slam of it out of town, if that, that's one kind of power I probably do have, uh, but not as much as uh, Frank Rich did when, when he was the, the theater critic of the time. And therefore, I... I tend not to do that. I mean, I did go see Frozen in Denver, but you know, I'm not going to stop Disney no matter what I do. <laughs> so my, my, what I thought was, well, at least maybe I can get them to make it better. But it, it isn't, and we were talking about this a little bit before, it isn't actually my job to improve the play either. I mean, it's not my job to instruct the playwright or the production. I, it's fine with me if they listen to what I say and make adjustments on that basis, but they should be making adjustments on the basis of what they believe, not, not what I believe. So I saw a show in Cambridge called Jagged Little Pill when it was having a tryout there. And I, and I liked it pretty well. And I, but I had some strong reservations about the structure of it. And, and then it came into New York, and they had addressed all of those. And I liked it better. Well, no surprise, I liked it better. I mean, that's what I said I didn't like. They worked on that and other things, and I liked it better, and I gave it a really positive review, and it's doing quite well. Yeah. And the blowback I got was, oh, isn't he so proud of himself that he told them what to do, and now they did it. <laughs> so there's no winning in that game. I, I would just say the way I prefer to look at the power and the responsibility that comes with it is the more positive way, which is I can go see Slave Play Off-Broadway and help I wasn't the only one, but and help make that, uh, uh, you know, a national discussion. I can see Fairview uh, <coughs> and and do the same thing. I can see uh, 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 Schoolgirls, which is which True yeah. Colors is 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 doing right now. What the Constitution means to me, 
The Prom, which I love. I mean, I had a few faults with it, but you know, uh, it, it doesn't all have to be uh, work that, that, that approaches things in a highly dramatic way. It can also be fun work. So I try to focus myself on those positive aspects that I can go and find these things and help audiences find it and also help readers learn about something incredible that's happening. That's, that's a good part of that responsibility. Right there. That's a really good question. Are you a writer? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, no one else would ask that question. <laughs> so uh, it's paramount, really. It's almost as important as the experience of seeing the show, because honestly, you see the show, but when you go to write it, it's only what's in your head anymore. It's not there in front of you anymore. I mean, I do read, if it's a new play, I will always read it after I see it. I never read it before I see it. I, I don't, I don't want to spoil what the playwright is trying to have me experience, but I want to understand it as <coughs> deeply as I can before I write about it. If it's an old play that I know, I, I, I mean, I'm not going to read Hamlet again. Um, but, uh, but I'll often reread it. If, it, uh, if it's Titus Andronicus, I'll probably reread it. Anyway, um, but it, particularly a good work, but really almost any work, and this applies not just to theater. There are a thousand ways to look at it. I, I sometimes think of it as like a, I don't know, like a, I'm sorry, this doesn't make sense as an image, as a ball of cheese. Um, you, you might wish to provide a different food stuff in, in your thinking, but, uh, or a, a, some kind of sphere of meaning. And if you cut it here, you're going to, take a line through it that shows one kind of information and story about it. But if you cut it this way, you'll get a, you know, a different one. They're both true, and so are all the others. Yeah. And the better the work, the more ways there are to cut through it that are going to be true and meaningful. We're on deadline as writers, we, and we have however many words we have. I, I'm lucky that we still give a lot of space to review, so I... I typically write a thousand words, but I can write up to 1,400 if, if I feel the work merits it. But the minute you put the knife in, you're done. Because mm -hmm. you don't have time to take the knife out and start over and go through a different way. So you really have to choose how you're starting very carefully because that's going to determine everything else that happens in the time you have. And to that extent, the writing is paramount also because you know, that's your years and years of experience of knowing what's going to work. It, uh, particularly at the beginning, it's a very sensitive nexus point between an argument that you want to develop, an interest that you want to generate in right. the reader, and uh, factual information that you need to, in a newspaper anyway, start giving out right away. You have to have your clause that says, which opened Thursday at the Alliance Theater. You have to say, you know, you have to give a clue pretty early on this is going to be a stinker review or this is going to be a positive review so that people aren't wondering through the whole review, when am I, <laughs> what's it going to be? <laughs> people don't want that anxiety. So it's, it's all about writing. Yes? Since you brought up prom, some of us have, uh, have connections to it. So I'd love your thoughts on the, the trajectory of it workshopped here, opened in Broadway, and got, it seemed to us, very good reviews, a number of extremely good reviews, which led to 
seven Tony nominations, which led to zero Tony Awards, which led to it closing not long thereafter. So in terms of the influence and the power of the review and the connection to, and, and audiences that were there, the ticket sales were pretty good, and the audience were rhapsodic about it at the end of each production. They were jumping and screaming. So the connection of, you know, a well workshopped play, good reviews, you know, how does all that connect in terms of, and we have some ideas locally that we've batted around, but I'd like your, your informed ideas. Of I don't know that mine are any more informed than yours. How does all that connect in terms of success? Yeah. Well, so here you see the idea of the power of the New York Times critic is it's severely limited. Uh, my intention in writing that review was to get people, to tell people that they would probably like it if they liked the kinds of shows I like. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and to say that with excitement. Uh, because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I felt it did what classic musicals do. Mm -hmm. it, it, it gave a lot of joy while also addressing in, in an appropriate way, scaled to the form, uh, real things going on. So why did it not win any Tonys and why did it close? I think there's a prejudice against musical comedy at this time. Um, not undeserved because kind of a, a lot of what... almost or a cynicism I, sort of? Uh, I don't think it's so cynical. I think it's more that people are upset in the world and uh, what feels worthy and natural to them and that equates their inside life with their outside life is just more, uh, is less comic material. I mean, most of what's winning awards and, you know, is, is what just... What it lost to was Hades Town. Well, Hades so Town is a much bleaker work. Right, so to um, your point, I mean, I'm saying that's yeah. exactly... So I think that's part of it. Um, I think people don't understand how hard it is to do a good musical comedy. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, when the better it is, the uh, less difficult it seems to have been to make mm -hmm. it. It seems to have just arrived mm -hmm. somehow. Um, you know, but if you listen to those lyrics, those are extremely well-crafted lyrics. And uh, I, as far as the commercial part of it, I think that probably just followed from the Tony's part of it. Um, but you have to understand also the rate of success as defined by uh, recouping of the capitalization of uh, costs on Broadway is less than a third. Mm -hmm. So it, it was no shame and no huge surprise mm -hmm. either because that's what happens to most shows, good or bad. So I want to be sensitive over our time and, and I'm going I'm to bug out one last one. What gives you optimism about theater right now? Well, I told you yesterday that after spending a few days in Atlanta talking to a lot of people from a lot of theaters and, and actors who work for a lot of different places, I've had this split response of being feeling uh, a tremendous amount of uh, community love and support for each other and each other's work um, and the value that people find in the work they're doing and being allowed to do and also despair. Now, I tend to bring that with me. <laughs> that's, that's my little New York cloud that I carry around. 
you know, um, I'm like a Roz Chast character, if you, if you know Roz Chast's cartoon. Um, so it's hard for me to identify optimism, per se. But to the extent that these kinds of new works that I've been talking about are not only being written, but producers are putting them on and bringing them to the attention of all kinds of audiences, that gives me a great deal of hope. And it is new. It is absolutely new. When I started as a critic six or seven years ago, you know, if I look at the lists of what I saw and what I see is determined by what's being produced in a certain level of theater in New York, and when I look at it today, it is completely different. Um, and how did this happen? It happened by uh, certain playwrights pushing, certain advocates shaming, uh, <laughs> certain artistic directors getting the memo, um, our politics making uh, assumptions that we may all have had seem to be untrue and uh, people trying harder to move into the next thing that theater has to be. And that does give me hope because I do think it's happening. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. For your time. Thank you, everybody.